Hello there. Welcome to the show. It's not that I have anything against babies and or children, but for some reason, the OB sections of my test and or anything to do with childbirth just doesn't stick in my head. I don't know why there are certain things that stick in my head and this is not one of them. When I was on my OB rotation, I was given the joyous opportunity to participate in multiple births of various different types. Fortunately, I didn't have to do that much. The most I had to do was help deliver the placenta, which that in itself is kind of hilarious because I'm just this random guy who has just met this lady and her child has just been born. And I have been given the opportunity and or honor of helping deliver the placenta. I wonder if back in the day, if they even did it, if they just waited for it to come out. But for those of you who don't know, the placenta is an organ that develops during childbirth, and it is a connection of the maternal blood supply to the fetus. So this placenta grows into the uterus wall and there's all these blood vessel connections and then that connects to the umbilical cord which then goes to the baby where the baby gets all their blood and all their nutrients. So the umbilical cord consists of two arteries and one vein. So after the umbilical cord and the baby has been cut, uh, the job of the medical student is to help pull the placenta out. It's a lovely experience. I wish everyone would get the opportunity to do this. Um, And if it was up to me, every single person in the whole world would have to do this job at least once before they could officially classify themselves as uh, an adult. So uh, for some reason, and I I mean, the OB rotation that I was on, I, um, I got to do a ton. I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, it depends on the which way you look at it. Um, I was not very keen on uh, exploring any more of OB than I had to. So, and most of the residents knew that, so they didn't really pressure me that much. But it has been several months, probably around six or seven months since my OB rotation, and I'm on family medicine right now. And family does some OB, but I'm coming up to my step two uh, tests in a few months, so I figured that I could go over some of the things that are giving me so much trouble about the entire process of having a child. I don't know if it's because I won't have the ability to have a child myself that this just doesn't stick in my brain, but maybe if I go over it for the 110th time, it'll eventually stay with me. So somewhere where I can start uh and this is, I don't, I wouldn't say this is an embarrassing topic. This is just something that you don't really learn about in regular day life. I mean, I, when I went out to OB, there were so many things that I had to learn that I knew absolutely nothing about. Now, obviously, like, I know generally what the process consisted of, but there's a lot of nuances. Obviously, there's a whole um, subspecialty of medicine that basically just deals with this. So there's a lot of things that you can learn. Um, Some of the most important things for me to learn is the different stages of labor. So the first stage is from the onset of contractions that cause cervical dilation. So there are these contractions that are called Braxton-Hicks contractions. And um, I don't really understand the pathophys behind the Braxton-Hicks contractions, but 
those can occur several days, I, don't, I think up to several weeks before you actually begin uh, true labor. But when that occurs, uh, the cervix isn't actually dilating. So from the first, the first stage is the onset of true labor to full cervical dilation. So full cervical dilation is 10 centimeters. So there's some stages, in, there's some uh, subcategory stages, uh, the latent phase, which is from zero to six centimeters. And then there's the active phase which is from six centimeters to 10 or full dilation so um there's certain parameters that you should be looking at for this how uh, quickly is the cervix dilating so with someone who hasn't had a child before uh, you should be looking at roughly around one centimeter per hour of dilation at the active phase so after six centimeters and then um after you've had multiple children, it gets slightly easier. I'm, I'm not going to say it gets easier because I don't even think it does. But things can progress more quickly after you've had a few more kids. And they say uh, roughly uh, greater than 1.2 centimeters per hour. So the second stage of labor is from full dilation to delivery of the baby. Um, if you've never had any kids before, that can take from 30 minutes to four hours. Obviously, these are just ballpark numbers. You can't slap a number on everyone. Um, and if you've had multiple children or more than one, um, they say it's roughly five to 30 minutes, which in my small amount of experience, it is true that the women who have had a couple um, of kids, the birthing process proceeds much more quickly and uh, a lot of the moms seem a lot more comfortable with it just in general because they've gone through it before whereas if it's your first I mean obviously this is not something that you could really be prepared for um, I mean I guess you could theoretically or mentally but let's just say I don't think I would be prepared so the third stage is when uh, after the delivery of the baby to the delivery of the placenta. So that was when Hayden Scheffler uh, MS3 stepped in with full scrubbed garb on to come help uh, remove the placenta. And then after you remove the placenta, my job was to, and I only did this a few times, probably like three or four times. So it wasn't like I was doing this every day while I was on OB. But my job was to, uh, after you take it out, you check the placenta to make sure that it's all intact and that uh, there aren't any retained uh, pieces of it. Because if you leave some pieces of placenta or if the placenta stays in, um, it can cause hemorrhage or it can cause problems with the uh, uterus contracting. So after the baby's born, the uterus starts con basically contracts and, and shrinks down, um, and that uh, helps decrease blood loss. So if you leave parts of the placenta in there, it can cause continued bleeding, um, which can lead to multiple problems like shock and uh, DIC, which is a whole nother um, hematological issue that I'm not really going to talk about right now. But basically, you want to check to make sure that the placenta is intact and everything's okay. So while you're in labor, there's a couple things that can happen. You could go into, uh, you could have a protraction disorder, which is where, um, so say theoretically you're supposed to be dilating every uh, one centimeter every hour, um, but that doesn't happen. Say it's been two hours and you're only dilating 0.5 centimeters per hour. I mean, I don't think you could technically measure something that specific, but just in general, you're you're noticing that the mother isn't progressing as fast as she quote unquote should. Um, and that is considered a protraction disorder. So there are some things that you can do to help augment that. So you could give them tocin, which is just the drug name for oxytocin. And what that does is it helps uh, the uterus contract more. Um, 
and then you can do other things like say they haven't um the water their water hasn't broken you can do what's called an amniotomy uh where you manually uh break the water and it helps speed things along um and then after the protraction disorder there's an arrest disorder so that's failure to progress over two hours so there's no progression in the cervix um you can in this this is my uh opinion i don't know if this is true but i would assume that generally it's like you see a protraction disorder where you see them uh, decreasing in the amount of dilation and at some point you have an arrest so i'd assume if they're protracting that you would give them the oxytocin or attempt to augment the labor but if that doesn't work and they have an arrest of labor then um, the next step would be a c-section once again i have to point out that this is probably the furthest level of expertise i have on anything so if I say anything that's wrong, it's because I am absolutely 100% unsure of all of this information. So what I just talked about is sort of the normal, what's supposed to happen, but obviously things can go wrong and there's certain things that we have to know. Um, one of the main things is about preterm labor. So that's you start contractions before the baby is at the right term. So I think technically it's defined as labor between 20 and 37 weeks of gestation so if they are if you're having contractions before this point then you are in entering preterm labor and the general goal would be to stop preterm labor to to prevent the baby from being born then so that the baby can continue to develop if the mother is not dilated at all when she's in preterm labor you can give uh, medications which are called tocolytics and what those do is they they're sort of the opposite of the oxytocin, so they prevent the uterine contractions to uh, stop the baby from being born. Oftentimes, along with the tocolytics, they'll also give steroids, and what these steroids do is that they um, help with the baby's lung maturity. So uh, as babies are developing, they have a difficult, well, not difficult time. They just, they don't produce a molecule or a substance that is called surfactant and what surfactant does it's in your lungs and uh, it it's very complicated how it works it all has to do with the surface tension of the air in your lungs and so what it basically does is it holds the it creates surface tension in the alveoli in your lungs so that when you exhale your al alveoli don't collapse in on themselves because you breathe all the air out that surfactant what it does is it creates a bond with um, it's like multiple you know molecules and that holds the alveoli open and so we all have surfactant you can't live without it um, so babies when they're very young or they're you know early in the gestational period they don't have that so if they are premature um, a lot of the times they have respiratory distress um, because they don't have the surfactant and you can you can give surfactant when they if they have been born and they are having respiratory distress but to help uh, create the production or to help increase the production or start production of surfactant, you can give the mother uh, steroids. So that will hasten the fetal lung maturity um, and hopefully prevent uh, acute respiratory distress or infantile respiratory distress syndrome if they are indeed born prematurely. So you give that between 24 and 34 weeks. It is pretty interesting, though, because with kids, I think the most common cause of 
like accidental death in children is drowning. I think I had that on one of my flashcards. But an interesting thing about drowning is that what can happen is if a, a child is falls into the water and um, inhales water, it can basically, and I think this can happen in adults as well, uh, it can wash out that surfactant. So after you pull them out and, you know, do chest compressions or get the water out of their lungs, uh, they'll still have a hard time breathing because they'll have what's called atelectasis, is which where the uh, alveoli are collapsing and part of that is due to this loss of surfactant that has been washed out by that nice uh, pool water that you fell into. I, I think the treatment for that is like you give exogenous uh, surfactant but I'm not really sure. I know a lot of the times you end up being put on a ventilator if, if it's really bad but don't quote me on you know when you give surfactant. I'm not really sure on all the requirements for that. Along with um, premature labor, uh, one thing that's important for us to know is premature rupture of membranes, or PROM. So that's when the amniotic sac ruptures before the onset of labor, so before the contractions are regular and uh, the cervix is beginning to dilate. Um, so what happens then is you can make sure, to, to make sure that you know whether or not the membranes have ruptured, you can do what's called a positive nitrazine test where you have some, it's basically litmus paper and you test the fluid and if it turns blue, then that means it's basic, which means that it's amniotic fluid. But if you, um, you can also take some of that fluid and put it on a slide and wait for it to dry and look at it under the microscope and you can see what's, it's called ferning, but it looks just like a fern. Like if you've ever seen a fern leaf, which I think most people have, Unless you live in a desert. I don't know if they have ferns in deserts. Anyone who lives in a desert, tell me if you guys have ferns there. Anyway, it looks just like a fern. So if you can go look up on uh, Google Images or whatever, if you don't use Google, because I don't use Google because Google is evil. Um, I don't use Bing. What do I use? Oh, I use DuckDuckGo. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure DuckDuckGo is kind of uh, authoritarian too. But I think there's the Swedish one, something to do with a cow. Anyway... So if there is premature rupture of membranes and the uh, woman doesn't enter into labor, so she doesn't start contracting and she's term and everything looks good, then you would induce labor, uh, which consists of giving oxytocin um, to start the process of birth because the rupture of membranes, if you leave it for too long, I think it's 18 hours of rupture you give uh, antibiotics to prevent various infections what you can get is called um, I think it's chorioamniitis so it's just an infection of the amniotic fluid so you got to take care of that so another thing that can occur is instead of premature rupture of membranes it's preterm premature rupture of membranes so it's p-prom no yeah, P-PROM. The first one is P-ROM. This one is P-PROM. So it's defined as premature rupture of membrane membranes before 37 weeks of gestation. Um, like I said, the risk of infection increases uh, with the duration of the ruptured membrane. So you got a culture. Um, and if it's positive for GBS, which is, uh, what's it called? Beta group B streptococcus or uh, streptococcus agalactae or something like that so you got to make sure to treat the mom if that is the case if that is uh, you get that bacteria so these are just a few of the things that I have to know for my test I think I've been getting better I've Natalie knows this stuff a lot better than me um, I think she's very interested in women's health I am not particularly it's not one of my areas of great interest 
but uh, she's been helping quiz me, and uh, I think I've been getting better. I've reset my UWorld uh, practice questions, so I've been going through all of my UWorld again, uh, which is a giant question bank, and I, I feel as if I'm doing better with the childbirth section because it absolutely wrecked me when I did it back in November. I think part of the problem was that it was a relatively short rotation, but it was a lot of new information, so along with it being a really busy rotation, um, like we'd get there at around 5, 5.30, and then leave at around 5 uh, for most days. I mean, it was you were there all day long, and when you're there, you don't have a lot of time to just do practice problems. So I ended up doing a lot of the practice problems. Uh, basically, in like two weekends, I think I knocked out like more than half of the problems, which I think it's better to do uh, problems more consistently because then you're getting exposed to the information and then you're experiencing different things on the on the in the hospital um, so you can kind of learn as you go but if you're kind of just like being in the hospital doing all this stuff and then doing 250 questions in a weekend it's like it's hard to sort of uh, remember that all um, on top of that I just is just again one of those topics that I really um, it's not one of my favorite topics and it's not one that we really hammered a ton in our first two years we had a section uh, at the end of our fourth or end of our second year sorry um, that was about just the reproductive track in general and it, it but it talked more about like the congenital abnormalities and a lot of hormone things problems with hormones and stuff like that nothing that explicitly gave details on childbirth like the closest I think we got was uh, talking about the fetal blood system uh, because the 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 fetus has you know they don't breathe uh, in the in the maternal or when they're in utero sorry I'll figure out a way to say it eventually infants don't breathe in utero their uh, lungs are filled with the amniotic fluid so when they uh, get all their nutrients they also get their oxygen from the mother so there's some shifting of the blood flow once they're born it's it's pretty complicated but it involves uh there's a flap in the heart that connects the right atrium from the left atrium um, and that closes and then there's something that's called the patent ductus arteriosus or the ductus arteriosus but when it's open it's patent so it's called the patent ductus arteriosus um, and that also allows for um, certain blood that is oxygenated from the mother to get out to the fetuses the rest of the circulation um, and that can stay open sometimes and that can cause problems so there are certain things you have to do to make sure that uh, you close that uh, ductus arteriosus and so there, that was mostly what we talked about we didn't actually go into the process of childbirth or even like how to read a fetal heart rate monitor or anything like that so I'm getting better um, hopefully I'll understand it and remember it enough for my step two exam but I've definitely seen an improvement over the last month or so because I've really been every opportunity I get where I have a chance to study, but I don't have to study for my rotation. I'll try to look at some OB stuff to sort of help refresh me. Um, there's certain topics that I've gotten really good with just in general, uh, cancer, uh, female cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. I've gotten much better with that. Um, but there are some still sort of things that have to do with like the timelines of a pregnancy that I still just like have a difficult time remembering. So this is an exciting time in my medical school career. I'm finishing up my third year in I think five weeks and then I start my dedicated for my step two and then after step two I start uh, my fourth year pretty pretty soon after I think I have a week uh, break 
start my fourth year and then I am also in the process of setting up my application for residencies. So uh, you have this whole website that you fill out all of your information, you know, where you're from and where you went to college and, you know, how many babies you've rescued and how many, you know, how many volunteer hours you have and all that fun stuff that everyone loves to participate in. So once I get that done, I have to write my personal statement to say, at this point, it's like everyone knows I want to be a doctor, so I don't have to explain to them why I want to be a doctor. Thank goodness. I feel like I've been doing that for quite some time. But at this point, it's it's not why do you want to be a doctor? It's why do you want to be this kind of doctor? So, you know, it's just another one of those fun things that I have to do. Um, on top of that, just passing my family medicine exam, which I think will go pretty well because family medicine is pretty pretty much an accumulation of most of medicine. Um, I think you get a little bit less of, obviously you get a little bit less of surgery because family medicine doesn't do that much surgery, but you know, there's a little bit of OB, mostly internal medicine. You also got some psych and then you also have some peds as well. So it's a really good rotation to sort of end out the year because it pretty much covers all the bases. I just came off surgery as well. Um, and I did, I was happy with my, uh, grade on my surgery shelf. So I feel like I had the surgery stuff down pretty well. I did all of the questions twice. So that was like almost a thousand surgery questions. Um, but I think the surgery stuff is pretty straightforward. It's like, if you don't have this and you do this and, and things, I think I talked a little bit about that in my last episode. So I have some plans for future episodes. I don't know if anyone actually gets to this point in the podcast, so I don't know if anyone cares, but I finished Dune a couple of weeks ago. Um, Nick, read dune as well everyone and i and everyone that i know just read dune recently so nick and i want to do a episode sort of just discussing that um because it was written in 1965 and i feel like it was super influential for a lot of science fiction and a lot of fantasy um i really enjoyed it i'd like to read the rest of the books so we want to do a review on that and right now i'm there's a couple games i'm playing uh I'm playing Subnautica and Ghost of Tsushima, and both of those are really great, and I want to do reviews on those, or at least talk about them, and then I finished God of War, and and Nick and I also want to do another episode on that, but, you know, coordinating an episode with another person is vastly more complicated. Um, Knox and I had considered rewatching the prequels and then sort of just talking about them. I mean, I grew up watching the Star Wars prequels, so... Obviously, I like them. I mean, I see that they have a lot of problems, but it's hard for me to take off my nostalgia glasses. I mean, I like Phantom Menace is a good movie. They just should have taken out Jar Jar. Like, there's just nothing redeemable about Jar Jar. So uh, we'll we'll have to see if we actually get around to doing that. But um, again, if there are any topics that anyone wants me to talk about, which, you know, I'm not an expert on anything, so I don't know why anyone would specifically like point out to me and be like, oh, you should talk about, you know, black holes and what they do. But uh, if you want to, you can send me a text and potentially I'll do an episode on it. I've been very busy lately, so I haven't been putting out as many episodes, but I think hopefully in the next couple weeks I'll have a little bit more free time because it's sort of the end of the year and this rotation is not as busy as um, peds and surgery was. So hopefully I'll get into a more consistent upload schedule got a lot of exciting things coming up in the future and i hope to put out a lot more episodes so thanks for listening